I heard that uh, the people that sit in the back say it looks kind of creepy, me floating across the platform. Um, but I've upgraded. I'm out of my orange cast and into a cam boot, and then they will teach me how to walk again on July 11th, Lord willing. So looking forward to that. I do like sitting, though, and teaching. This is nice. It's good to have um, our staff back. Uh, Matt and Kristen took uh, some of our teens down to camp in Arizona this week, and they came back safely yesterday, so that's an answer to prayer. And then Ethan and Sarah were down there as well, and Ethan was down there for their staff training, so they've been gone for two weeks. And um, so they all came back yesterday, and it is wonderful to have our newest married couple here this morning, Matt and Bethany Young. Congratulations, and good to have you back. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to open your scriptures. And turn with me to the second passage Steve read this morning, and that is Ephesians chapter 6. My wife is in Ohio. This morning was an unusually slow morning for us around the house. Things don't always function the same without mom. And uh, just cannot get started, no matter how much coffee and groggy and tired. I don't know if it's the morning or the day. But it's easy to come in here and for me to project that on everybody else, right? So I assume you're groggy and having a hard time going this morning. Uh, And that's just the nature of perceptions. We cast and project perceptions that aren't always accurate. Some of you might have had a phenomenal morning today. Um, But because of how I'm feeling, I'm going to interpret you through how I'm feeling. You know, we do that with our fathers, too. If we had a poor experience with an earthly father, it's easy to cast that perception onto who? Onto God, right? If we've had an abusive childhood or a neglected childhood, it's easy to cast that perception onto God. Well, certainly God's the same way. And this is where we have to, as his children, to adjust our perceptions biblically and accurately. Um, I, and I, I do want to take time to say Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers here this morning. Um, I hope we understand, we, um, Pastor Matt and myself will mention this often on these kinds of days. Um, Father's Day, Mother's Day particularly, uh, come with a mixed assortment of emotions, don't they? A wide spectrum of emotions. Um, some still grieving the loss of a father or some still hurting from that kind of an upbringing. But, but it's also a day that we can rejoice because as we've been singing in some of our hymns, we have a heavenly father who loves us unconditionally. And several of the men already said that this morning, either in prayer or in comments between songs. We have a father who loves us unconditionally, who is unlike any father you have known before. And the home is intended to display living portraits of redeemed relationships. The Christian home, above any other place, should portray a living portrait of something. So if, if Christ has redeemed me and reconciled me, then my children, my wife, ought to see that in the home. Right. And that's and that's where it breaks down and we get discouraged because we're flawed. We're sinful. We're still broken. If you look in Ephesians, we're actually going to go back to Ephesians five. 
And you're going to see, I mean, Paul all along here is talking about imitating God. He's talking about being filled with, or the idea is controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is as he carries through in Ephesians 5. And the idea isn't like, uh, the filling isn't like you have a glass of water and some of you have a full glass of Holy Spirit and some of you have a half a glass of Holy Spirit and you just need, you just need more Holy Spirit. That launches you off into divergent doctrine. The idea is the spirit that is in you and living in you, does he control you? Have you let him control you? And if you have, if he's filled you, the idea is uh, the word that is used in the pictures that's presented is uh, as the wind fills the sail on a boat, it starts to move that boat along. When the Holy Spirit does that to your life, it moves you so that you reflect something. One of the greatest indications that you are filled with the Holy Spirit will show up in the home. It will show up between husband and wife. And it's accurate. It shows up between brothers and sisters. It shows up between parents and children. The the, the most accurate indicator that you are filled with the Spirit does not happen necessarily right here on one time slot Sunday morning, it happens Tuesday evening in the home or Friday morning in the home. It happened last night in the home. And so Paul says, look at verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, what does that look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husband-wife relationships in the home are intended to model something about Christ and His church. Parent-child relationships model something about the relationship between the Father and the Son and between us and our Heavenly Father. Your attitude to your parents reflects, in most cases, there's always exceptions, your attitude towards God. Your attitude towards your parents reflects your attitude toward God. See, the reconciling work, the redeeming and reconciling work, that bringing back together of what Christ does through his gospel and bringing us back together in a right relationship with the Father is seen most clearly in the home. And he's restoring what was broken in Genesis 3. Remember that? In Genesis 3, there's this perfect harmony. Um, Adam and Eve knew one another. It was more than just physical nakedness. There was, there was complete trust. There was complete openness and transparency. And they shared the same relationship with God. And sin came in and fractured that. Trust was twisted into distrust. And that happens in the home. Close fellowship was deformed into selfishness. The very first child born to human parents 
was Cain, and he was a murderer. Obedience turned to rebellion. Love was twisted into lust, and authority turned to oppression. And here's what Jesus Christ is doing through the gospel. He is, he is reconciling us. He is restoring us. He is making us a new creation, a new society, so that what is actually pictured in the home is also supposed to be pictured where? In the church, which is his bride, which is a familial term, which is a new creation, a new society, a new called out gathering. But here's the problem often with the church is that we carry our brokenness from our homes here and where we're not living in harmony in the home. It's impossible to then come here and fake the harmony that doesn't exist even in the closer relationships under our roof. So let's back up. God created us in his image, male and female. It's simple. It's not just a biology statement. This is God's purpose for creation. Both men and women are created in the divine image and are equal before God as persons. Equal. Different gender. Equal. Equal as they image God, equal in their value, equal in their divine intention to glorify him on this earth. God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. It's his idea. It's his design. God's beautiful design is that it takes one man and one woman to produce a child. Right? One cell from the man, one cell from the woman. And that creates a child. So you want proof of that. Everybody in here has or had a father and a mother. No one, no one entered this earth this morning in here. Nobody in here entered this earth uh, by an exception to that. How God created it. One man, one woman that brought you forth. That also means... and, and, and and what's amazing is, I mean, here we live in 2017, you are a unique individual. You image God in your uniqueness. Some of you are more unique than others. That's not really a good use of the word, right? Unique is sort of one of a kind. Um, you are unique and God, but that gives you worth as well, because God desires for you to glorify him in your uniqueness. We're going to talk about that as as we get to fathers in just a minute. When a child is born, he is done so by a part of the man and a part of the woman. And this, this just shouldn't even be a, a debate today, but the fact is that's the case. And I joke around because the woman typically takes the heavier part because she carries the child for nine months. I was recently complaining about my orange cast last week when the temperature soared into the 90s and I could feel the sweat dripping down inside the cast. And I I complained a little bit to my wife and she said she kindly said, oh, and this is what I said. I said, I think it's time for us to get an air conditioner. OK, we don't have an air conditioner or a swamp cooler. And she goes, you know, I carried your children in the heat of South Carolina and in Africa for nine months at a time without air conditioning or a swamp cooler. <laughs> now, Gentlemen, when you receive that kind of response, just say nothing, <laughs> right? Just defer, make a mental note, you win. 
And don't get an air conditioner that day. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was a good reminder. And thankfully it was removed on Thursday and I feel free again. Um, one man, one woman produces a unique, amazing child that images God. I want to focus today on fathers and on children because that includes all of us. The latter part includes all of us, right? And how we interact with or interacted with or relate to the former fathers involves all of us as well. Ephesians 5 says, or actually back in Ephesians 4 verse 30, Paul's already told us we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have a mark on you. Or you're kept. The idea of sealing is, is two. You, you have this as a down payment that more is coming. And then because you are sealed with a person of God, the Holy Spirit is God. And he lives in you and he abides in you and you are sealed. You have that print and that promise. Then it says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, so don't grieve him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you have been sealed. The word grieve there really, it's not just um, discouragement. It's, it's a word that is used in reference to the grieving of the loss of a loved one. It's to make exceedingly sorrowful. So there are choices you and I will make today. Choices in the home. Choices between husband and wife. Choices between parent and child. Choices between grandparents that will either bring delight to or grief to the Holy Spirit. So think about it this way. Everyone in here who's a believer has the Holy Spirit. But he exists right now either in a grieved or an ungrieved way inside of you. And so which is it? Is he grieved? Or is he ungrieved? Look back at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 25. As Christ has redeemed and has, as he has reconciled and he is making this new creation. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Even on your righteous anger, do not hold on to it too long because it will be twisted. It will be distorted into that which is not righteous. And give no opportunity to the devil. That's, that's a military term. Don't give a, a base of operation in your heart to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And he's going to continue on these very practical, horizontal ways in which we don't grieve the Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And what's interesting now is he, he talks about this and he moves immediately into what that looks like in our relationships. Look at Ephesians 5.22. What's the first word? Wives. Verse 23. For the husband. Okay, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children. 
These are Paul immediately takes this teaching from Ephesians and he applies it to the home on these relationships that we interact with every single day. Four technical things quickly about Ephesians 5.18 because they're going to affect how children interact with fathers and mothers and how fathers and mothers bring up children. Uh, one, when it's, if you go back to Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Just focusing on this, be filled with the Spirit. It is an authoritative command, not a suggestion. So it's something that you can what? If I give you a command, right, if I tell my child, I need you to stand up and wait for me in the back, that's the imperative mood. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. That also means that that individual has the ability to respond in obedience. So be filled with the Spirit is not to seek some second blessing or some uh, out-of-the-body experience or some other evidence that somehow you have more spirit no the filling of the spirit is does he control you right now have you submitted to him in your attitudes in your actions in your words in your spirit not only is it a command it is in the plural form and in light of ephesians it's given to the entire christian community you all be filled you all be controlled by the holy spirit so if there is, if you have a history of interpersonal conflict, the command to you is this, you let the Spirit control you and now you seek reconciliation. You identify what it is that is causing you to have this history of broken relationship after broken relationship and you be the peacemaker. So in that sense, it's a command. You do this. You submit to him. It's to all of us. It's not uh, some elitist privilege. It's not a technique that we learn. Like, you know, there's the the 5% in here that really is filled with the Spirit because we have learned the techniques. It's not a technique to learn. It is a relationship with God in His Spirit to be maintained. And it's in the passive voice. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. By obeying God's word, by listening to his promptings. And then it is also in the present tense. Its action is continuous. So this morning, are you filled? Are you being filled? Are we as a church being filled? Fathers, are you a spirit filled leader in your home? What would my children say about my leadership in the home? Is it, is it oppressive? Is it harsh? Is it absent? Is it, does it seek to favor one over the other? As we are being filled, this is what it will look like. Look at verse 23, chapter 5. The husband is the head of the wife. We're not going to stay here, but it is an assumed leadership, inescapable leadership. The husband, it's not... Present is leading by his absence, but he's still the leader, right? We understand that. The husband who is abusive to his wife, is he still the leader? Yes, he's a poor leader. He's a leader that needs to be rebuked and called out, but he's still the leader. 
So the question is not to husbands, according to Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, not are you leading, but how are you leading? And the basis of the husband's leadership now moves to not control or dominance, but love. Look at Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. And one of the key terms here is the love, the agapao, that that sacrificial love is the key to the basis of relationships here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's followed by five verbs that Christ's love has an effect upon us. Does my love for my wife have an effect upon her? Does she look more like Jesus Christ because she's married to me? Let's. Christ sanctifies her. He cleanses her that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives. So not control, not dominance, but love. And then it moves. Look at chapter six, verse one. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So he moves from husbands and wives, and now he moves to children. And we're so this verse, this passage is memorized at an early age. So I'm looking out at a lot of our children. Okay, so my question to the children now is, are you obeying and honoring your parents? And if so, how? I mean, if you could just take out a little piece of paper and tangibly say, I honor my mom and dad by, and you just write in the verbs. Or maybe it'd be easier if you just turn that around. Are you dishonoring them? And if so, how? Because our culture has pressed into our children. Somebody recently called it a culture of outrage. I can't believe you're even asking me. Right? The child presses against the parent. Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to check your social media history. How do you respond? How do you respond to your mother or your father when they try to take responsibility for entering into your life to make sure that you are safe. Or you really had your heart set on something and they made the wise decision to say, you know, I'd rather you not go this weekend. Do you obey and honor them at that point? The word obey is an action to be willingly under authority to the parents. It's to align up underneath. And Paul is also going to talk about civil obedience, right? That you obey those who are in authority over you. And the idea is that you obey the government as far as you can until they're asking you to disobey Jesus Christ. So you pay your taxes. Because in, in you paying your taxes, they're not asking you to blatantly disobey Jesus Christ. I mean, you remember when they came and they tried to trip Jesus up. And should we pay our taxes or not? And, of course, the, that answer had a double hook. 
And he says, well, show me a coin. And he says, whose image is on the coin? And of course, whose image was on the coin? Right. And he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The idea is his image is on the coin. So render it to Caesar. If he asks for part of it, give it to him. And then he looks at them and he says, and you give unto what? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. And what's not explicitly written in the text, but what they would have understood is they knew and believed that they were made in the image of God. And God's image is on you. Are you giving to God what he requests? Whose image is on you? Whose image is stamped on you? So we submit, we line up underneath to that authority. Honor is the attitude behind the action. Okay, so, okay, I'm not going to call you kids, but okay, young adults, have you ever obeyed, but not with the right spirit? Okay, I'll ask myself, I remember the 13-year-old Stephen, when my dad told me I couldn't do something, I took a football and a dart, and I thought I was hiding, and I was like stabbing the football in rage. Okay, that's not godly anger. And my dad, six foot one, really big, gentle giant, but firm, walked around the side of the house and and found me stabbing this football. How do you think that went with me? It did not go well. So I obeyed him inside the house and then I left and I'm, I'm sure I was pretending the football was someone else. And God saved me from that when I was 21 years old. But have you ever obeyed, but then went down with a sibling and said, this is someone reason I just. So the word honor doesn't allow you to do that. It's obey and honor. It is to align yourself up under an authority. And I would say this and obeying to the point. Unless your parents are asking you to disobey Christ. So the same with civil obedience We're going to talk in the home and you say, and you say, but my parents asked me to do things. Nobody other parents in the world would ask them to do. And God's word is going to say, then you obey all, all the other parents let their kids do X, Y, Z. Okay. But they're not your parents. You obey your parents and you honor your parents. Unless they're asking you to disobey Christ, God has put an authority over you in the home. And if you are a spirit filled young person, you are going to line up under and obey and honor. Children, are you obeying the authority God placed over you? And here's why. Look at verse three. That it may go well with you. See, God, in his goodness, always seems to offer incentive. And often right feelings follow right actions. You might not feel like it at the moment. You might, you might feel angry or outraged. Then do the right thing. Obey. When they ask you what you've been watching on Netflix, how do you respond? If they don't let you watch Netflix, how do you respond? If your father keeps changing the password, how do you respond? So that anything above G needs my password. 
And you could ask my children, it probably changes at least once every two weeks. Dad, can I have the password? What are you going to watch? <laughs> right? And then you go through. When they ask to look at your internet history, how do you respond? When they caution you about a friend, do you respect and line up underneath them? Or do you find a way to be with them anyway? If they do not approve of somebody you're developing a, an emotional relationship with, and they ask you to stop it, can I, can I ask you, are you obeying Ephesians 6.1? Are you obeying and honoring? In Kenya and Tanzania, mostly in Tanzania, the children, the, little, the littler children would walk up and in the presence of any adult that they would say in Swahili, uh, they would bow their head down and they would, they would go shikamu. And it, just, and it just means hail, respect. And they would wait there with their head down and this, happened, this has happened to us. They wait there with their head down until the elder, not the spiritual elder, but until the man would put his hand on their head and say, Marahaba. The child would give this picture and a word of respect and would, I'm not, we're not going to start that here at Highlands. Uh, but, it, it was, but it was often followed by the spirit of that child in that culture. It was an honor culture. And they would go shikamu and they would just wait. And you touch their, their head and it's basically you're giving them a blessing. The adult responds, thank you for your respect, be blessed is the idea. And that is not the culture that is being encouraged here, is it? Front Range, Colorado, United States. But like we've said before, it is a, it is a culture of outrage. Our children either evade and avoid, or they say, why do you want to know? You, you ruin everything. I'd rather you not be in my life. That's the spirit that's portrayed. Which is a far cry from a true respect and obedience and an honoring. Spirit-controlled Christian children obey with gladness, for this pleases the Lord, and they believe it will go well with them. Now look at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, and, and the word fathers there can also include mothers. Um, the word is, is somewhat interchangeable. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So a word to fathers and men in general and mothers. Does your child training exasperate your child? Does it provoke them? Does it include shaming? Does it include berating? Does it include sarcasm? Okay, these are off limits according to Ephesians 6 verse 4. So much harm is done in the name of religion against our children underneath Christian, so-called Christian parenting, that actually from young children, we've been pushing them outside of where they should have found truth and security and safety. Bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord, that is to nourish and to feed, to care for them, to, to, to watch over. This morning, 
uh, the one thing that brought me alert was there was a hawk in our backyard uh, pursuing a squirrel. And the squirrel kept running on the other side of the tree. It's the first time it's happened all year that I've seen. And the hawk jumped down on the piece of wood that my boys throw their tomahawks at. And you could just see him waiting for the squirrel to move. And the squirrel was on the other side. And then he flew through the V of the two trees and scared the squirrel. And the squirrel ran on the other side. And in our house, we give names to all the fluffy creatures. Jerry the bunny lives in the front yard. And the squirrels provide entertainment for my Jack Russells. Now, the Jack Russells would go after the squirrels too. But on this occasion, uh, my heart moved towards the squirrel. And so I let G2 out. And that was me nurturing the squirrel because he ran out and he scared the hawk away. Fathers, are you feeding? Are you caring for? Are you watching over protecting your children? I remember um, if you see older pictures, our, our kids are, somebody said yesterday, it looks like a little xylophone thing. Ding, 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 ding. And I felt like a really good dad when I could line them all up on the sofa and we'd sing songs together on the guitar and we'd memorize verses and have a Bible time. And I encouraged that. And then you tuck them all in and you kiss them all good night and you just repeat this and you can feel like I should probably write a book on parenting. And then they turn five, right? <laughs> Actually, it's more like 11. And, and you're like, this is difficult because the discipling strategies change as they get older. And they start to mirror you, which should be a good thing, and it's not always. And then I, God's at the point, I'm like, I'm never writing a book on parenting, you know, just. But then God brings us out of our self-dependence again in crying out in need for him to intervene in our children's life. My children don't just need to see a godly father. They need to see God the Father. And hopefully that will be seen in the home initially, but then they also have to experience him on their own. And this brings us out of ourselves, so it's not just like I can do everything right. I follow the rule book perfectly, right? Yes, there's a truism, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he is old he won't depart from it. That's not a promise. Proverbs doesn't offer that to you as a promise. It is typically true. It's a truism. It's poetry. But there are times when our parents have done everything well and the, and the children depart from God anyway. And that brings us in complete dependence on God. And, ask, and, and, and challenges us to call out to Him. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. John Stott wrote this. Every child must be allowed to be himself. Wise parents recognize that not all the non-conforming responses of childhood deserve to be styled rebellion. On the contrary, it is by experiment that children discover both the limits of their liberty and the quality of their parents' love. Fathers and mothers, when your children choose wrongly, Ephesians 6 is going to tell you, yes, hold them accountable and love them. But it's also going to, it's going to actually offer a restraint and it's going to shape your parenting. You don't do it with anger. I mean, you can threaten an 11-year-old into some kind of obedience, sure. 
You will not be able to do that with a 19-year-old. You'll actually lose their heart. And so even at a young age, this idea of nurturing and, and feeding and discipline and instruction, this, this sustained systematic discipline to walk the way of the Lord and follow his commands, it also means a humility from us when we mess up. We go back and ask their forgiveness. There's a gentleness. You see, Paul's writing this to a Roman culture that was authoritarian and oppressive. William Barclay said this, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands and punished as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 encourages restraint and loving correction. This is what God does. This is when Christ redeems and reconciles. He enters into a harsh culture and it brings fairness. And, and it really should be, if you, if you want to call it a grace-shaped parenting. When fathers and mothers are spirit-controlled, they nurture, they protect, and they love. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This then would remove Irritating and unreasonable demands, harshness and cruelty, favoritism, humiliation, suppression, sarcasm, or ridicule. So, what is the message for us this morning on Father's Day? Well, to all parents and to children, are you modeling a redeemed portrait of Christ in the home? Are you modeling something in the home that shows that you have been reconciled and redeemed by Jesus Christ? As others come into your home, is there a sense, is there a flavor, is there an aroma of the gospel because of how you all interact? Or is it just like any other unsaved home? Be filled with the Spirit. Children, obey and honor. And if you're not, repent. And reconcile and go talk to mom and dad and ask for their forgiveness and their help. Husbands, lead like Christ led and loved his church. Fathers and mothers, don't provoke, don't irritate, don't overwhelm. Bring them up in the nurture and the discipline of the Lord. And do it in a way where they sense they have been in the very presence of God himself. So to the defeated this morning, Paul would say, let the spirit fill you and he will cause you to grow the, fr the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control in the home and in your family. He will influence you to love your wife and be gentle fathers to your children, to the complacent, to the passive, to the absentee. Paul would say, be filled with the Spirit. Be thankful for what He has graced you with already. But do not say that you have arrived and do not become mechanical, but let the Spirit keep filling you. It's all about relationship. And to the faithful, Paul would say, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do not grow weary, for in due season you will reap. Let's pray.